0: Optimus Prime I am the futures of Borg Resistance is futile Yes, a Jedi's strength flows from the Force But beware of the dark side It's kind of catchy, it's got nice to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate, This it's a gold ring oh, I'm sorry, David. I'm afraid I can't do that.
1: This is uh, Reach Gold, and you're listening to Treks and Sci-Fi. Happy New Year, everybody. This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Treks and Sci-Fi, episode 472, for January 19th, 2014. Before we get into today's podcast, I'd like to apologize for my voice. Uh, I've had the flu over the past week, and I somehow have lost my voice, and I thought it would be back before recording, but it's not all the way there, so I do apologize for how I sound this morning. Today, I've got another classic science fiction movie for you. This week, I've got a classic from 1950. It's George Powell's Destination Moon. Destination Moon. Before we get into the podcast, I'd like to thank Rico for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I'd also like to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today, and I hope you enjoy it. With that said, I'm going to play the main title theme to this movie. I'll be back after the music with some movie information, and then we'll get into the movie. Destination Moon was released June 27, 1950. It has a running time of 91 minutes. The production budget for this movie was $500,000. It was directed by Irving Peischel. It was produced by George Powell. The screenplay was written by James O'Hanlon, Robert A. Heinlein, and Rip Van Wonkel. It was based on the novel Rocket Ship Galileo by Robert A. Heinlein. The music was written and composed by Laith Stevens. It was produced by George Powell Productions. It was distributed by Eagle Lion Classics Incorporated. And here's the cast. John Archer as Jim Barnes. Warner Anderson as Dr. Charles Cargraves. Tom Powers as General Thayer. Dick Wesson as Joe Sweeney. And Aaron O'Brien Moore as Emily Cargraves. Now let's get into the movie. The movie starts out at a U.S. Army missile testing facility. We join Dr. Charles Cargraves and General Thayer as they watch their latest missile launch, malfunction, and crash into the ground. Dr. Cargraves believes that this is an act of sabotage.
0: What happened, Charles? What went wrong? I don't know. I don't know. There couldn't have been anything wrong with the design aeronautically. No, it was the motor. Why? Why? After four years of development tests? Seems impossible, but I can figure only one thing. What? Somebody tampered. Sabotage? Ask for intelligence to find out and we build another. I'm afraid you won't, Charles. Of course we will. Do you think this failure is going to make it easier to get new appropriations? Things like this mean military cuts, boy. Research is going back to the laboratories. Then I will too. I'm not quitting. First, I want to reintroduce myself to my wife and kids. Old lawns, fix leaky faucets, paint fences and... read a few detective stories in the bathtub. Then get on with the problem and a few others I've had to neglect these last few years. Satellite to circle the Earth forever 12,000 miles above sea level. What did I call it a while back, just before it was fired? Vindication General I'm sorry I'm sorrier about that than anything else After your years of crusading all I've succeeded in giving you is the most expensive pile of junk in history
1: In the next scene we see General Thayer in the office of his old friend Jim Barnes Jim is the head of Barnes Aircraft General Thayer is there to try to get Jim to help him recruit the help of American businessmen to fund and build a rocket ship to the moon
0: General Thayer is here, Mr. Barnes. Oh, fine. Send him in. Don't forget to wash behind your ears. How was the trip, General? Very smooth. I flew in on one of your Skyliners. Nice ship, Jimmy. Very nice. Uh Uh-oh. Whenever you start with a compliment, you're after something. That's hardly civil, Jim. I haven't seen you for the better part of two years. Did I ask you for something the last time I saw you? Mm, you certainly did. You wanted a shoulder to cry on because Cargrave's rocket fizzled. Glad to see you anyway, General. I'm not wasting my time crying about that anymore. After the way you sold me. Quote, The rocket is an absolute necessity. If any other power gets one out into space before we do, we'll no longer be the United States, we'll be the disunited world, etc, etc, unquote. That's twice as true today. Look, you proved that a satellite rocket isn't practical. It blew up, didn't it? Did it blow up, Jimmy? Or was it blown up? Blown up? Why ask me? Army intelligence might know. They know. What's your pitch, General. I'll tell you. Wait a minute. I think I can put this together myself. You're a satellite rocket man. You crusaded yourself right out of the service. Then you kept on crusading. Finally, they took up the Cargridge project. It fizzled. Now, following the course of old established habit, you'd like to drop it from my lap. Well, I love you, General. but well, I'm just a plain manufacturer, not the Department of Defense. The answer's no. Then, no, no. Don't like that cigar. We're going to lunch. Who said you were anything but a manufacturer? That's why I came to you. Look, General. Building rocket satellites is big stuff. I couldn't begin to finance one I'm of those. I'm not asking you to rebuild the satellite. Cargrave spent four years on that project. That rocket could have and should have done everything we anticipated. There's no time nor need to repeat that experiment. Well, what in blazes are you driving at now? The moon. Okay. I listen, tell me. I did tell you. The next rocket we build is going to the moon. Let's go to lunch. I'm serious, Jim. Oh, no, you can't be. It's too fantastic. The moon? <laughs> Impossible. Even with an atomic energy engine, exhaust velocity potential of 30,000 feet a second, what? thrust of 3 million pounds. Why, even Jess Spuley's atomic engine has only limited use. He hasn't come close to designing a mobile unit. Cargraves has spent the past two years on it. He's not only designed it, he's tested it. His scale model ran for an hour and 23 minutes before it blew up. It's incredible. I saw it, Jim. Good grief, man. And the government hasn't taken that over? It's peacetime, Jim. The government isn't making that kind of appropriations. Well, they'll need the rocket one of these days. And if it's not ready, the government will do the job. And they'll turn to you, to private industry, to do it. Government always does that when it gets in a jam. It has to. This time, I figured we might be ready for the government. Preparedness isn't all military, Jim. What about the money? That's not the problem, it's production. That's why I came to you, you're a production man. The problem right now is one of research, designing special materials, the pooling of resources, specialized skills, engineering brains, industrial capacity. No single company could possibly do it. But combined American industry, sparked by Jim Barnes, could put a rocket on the moon within a year. Well, what do you say, Jim? Do we go to lunch or do we go to the moon?
1: In the next scene, we see Dr. Cargraves, General Thayer, and Jim Barnes with a group of businessmen. Dr. Cargraves has a model of the rocket ship and is explaining to the businessman how the rocket ship works. Jim then shows the businessman a cartoon starring Woody Woodpecker. The cartoon explains the fundamentals of rocketry. After the cartoon, General Thayer tells a group of businessmen that it's vital for global security that America be the first country to reach the moon, warning that a foreign power could use the moon as a missile base and thus control the Earth. Of course the businessmen agree, and then the work on the rocket begins.
0: And General Thayer is going to tell you why. The reason is quite simple. We are not the only ones who know that the Moon can be reached. We are not the only ones who are planning to go there. The race is on, and we'd better win it, because there is absolutely no way to stop an attack from outer space. The first country that can use the Moon for the launching of missiles will control the Earth. That gentleman is the most important military fact of this century.
1: The rocket ship is now complete and ready for testing. Dr. Cargraves receives a letter from the government stating that the missile testing will be delayed and moved to the South Pacific. Jim wants to go now. He asked Dr. Cargraves, when's the next best launch date? Charles tells him 17 hours from now. So Dr. Cargraves, General Thayer, and Jim agreed to blast off in 17 hours.
0: All right, Doc. Well, Jim. General. I tried to get you before you left Washington. Look worried. Is anything wrong? Yeah, it's not the engine, is it? Have you tested it? Not yet. Doesn't look like we're going to. Listen to this. I am directed to inform you that your petition to test an atomic energy reaction engine at the scene of the construction of your rocket ship is regretfully denied. Denied? It is the opinion of the commission that a possible danger exists should the engine fail structurally, in the resultant dispersal of radioactive materials around the neighborhood of the test area. Now oh, we've told them a dozen times we've cleared the area out for ten miles around. While it is admitted that no real danger of atomic explosion exists, a belief in such danger does exist in the public mind. It is the policy of the commission. Policy, my foot! Somebody's throwing a monkey wrench. Oh, wait, there's more. Test is authorized at the Special Weapons Testing Center in the South Pacific. South Pacific. Well, that's doggone nice of them. What's the matter with the North Pole or, or Little America? What's a few months' delay one way or the other? They're merely trying to protect their own necks. You can't buck public opinion. I've tried. Have you seen this? That isn't public opinion. It's a job of propaganda. You're almighty right it is. Manufactured and organized with money and brains. Somebody's out to get us. Stops us in our tracks, anyway. We'll have to reschedule. With what? What do you mean? What are we going to use for money? we pushed our resources to the limits every day of delay costs. Say, Doc. The ship's about ready to take off, isn't she? Except for tests and minor adjustments. What's the next favorable time? About a month from now. No, I don't mean that. What's the next favorable time this month? The only favorable time this month is about 17 hours from now. All right, that's it then. We take off in 17 hours. you out of your mind. I will be if we run into any more red tape. Now look. There's no law against taking off a spaceship. It's never been done, so they haven't gotten around to prohibiting it. If we ask for permission, they'll find a way to block us. So we go now, as soon as we can. In an untested ship? How do you test a thing of this kind? <laughs> it either works or it doesn't. It's a one-time deal. Doc, have you any worries about the engine? Well, none, but we haven't trained a crew. So we don't. The takeoff is fully automatic. <laughs> the General and I will run the ship. You'll be the engineer. Brown is known from the beginning that he'll handle the radio and radar. What about ballistics? Oh, that's where we're stuck. The takeoff wasn't planned for this month, it's a week's work. You think Dr. Hastings is pretty good, don't you? The best in the world. Give him the job. A pot of black coffee and all the assistance he can use. You all set, General? All set. Great, then it's settled. We'll all be heroes or angels, so what can we lose? We'll take off tomorrow morning, before dawn. We've got a lot to do in 17 hours.
1: Later that day, Joe Sweeney reports to General Thayer, Dr. Cargraves, and Jim that their radio man, Brown, has been taken to the hospital for an emergency appendectomy. Now they're lost. They don't have a radio man. But General Thayer believes that Joe, who's the assistant of the radio man, can handle the radio. After a little cajoling, they manage to convince him, and they're ready to blast off. Yes. Mr. Sweeney
0: is here to see General Thayer. I'll send him in. Uh, two 404.5. 214.9. Four uh, uh, two four what, what's up, Joe? It's Brown, sir. They've taken him to the hospital. The hospital? Is he all right? He will be after they cut out his appendix. Oh, no. Now, well, what do we do? Hey, Joe. Joe. You can handle the ship's radio and radar equipment, can't you? Yeah. You know as much about it as Brown. Will you take his place? To the moon? Yes. What's the moon got that this desert ain't? Besides... Besides what, Joe? Well, I got a date with a nice little chick tomorrow. No thanks. Joe, unless you come along with us, we're sunk. You're the only man left who knows how to handle the equipment. Mr. Barnes, mind if I sound off a little? What do you mean? You're pretty smart men. You and Dr. Cargraves and the General. I don't set myself up to know as much as you do, but well... What's on your mind? You're all wet. In what way? The thing won't work. It can't. It's crazy. Figure all that weight. It won't budge an inch. And what do I see him putting in the fuel tanks? Water. You're all gonna look like a bunch of dummies. If you'd believe that, you'd come along. Yeah, but I don't want to look like a dummy. You wouldn't. We're entirely responsible for the whole thing. You don't think it could blow up? We'd never get in it if we thought that. Joe, you have confidence in Dr. Cargraves, me, the general. We wouldn't ask you to do anything we didn't believe in. Would you like to go? Okay. I'll sit up there with you and twiddle the knobs just for laughs. Fine, Joe. It'll never budge. Be sure you twiddle the right knobs. Okay, then. Hey, you guys are really serious, ain't you? Dead serious.
1: Dr. Cargraves, General Thayer, Jim, and Joe are boarding the spaceship when a local official shows up with some paperwork forbidding them to take off. The four men disregard the shouts of the local official and board the rocket ship. They strap themselves in and blast off. And once they're in space, they settle in for their journey to the moon. On their way to the moon, Jim goes to test the radar and find that their radar antenna is frozen. So now they have to go outside and fix the antenna. So Dr. Cargraves, Jim and Joe put on their spacesuits and head outside to free the antenna.
0: I want to test the piloting radar. I tried to crank out the antenna, it seems to be stuck. stuck. I it. I was particularly careful when I greased it. Greased it? No wonder it's stuck. It's exposed to outer space, frozen solid. You should know better than that, Sweeney. Why? I'm no scientist. It was covered in the engineering instructions or didn't you bother to read them? All right, hold it, hold it, Doc. Arguing won't get us anywhere. That piloting and radar has to be fixed. Try to land blind, it be our finish. How do we fix it, Doc? Somebody has to go outside and free it. Outside? You mean go outside the ship? It can't be done any other way. But we'd be swept off. No, you won't, you can't fall. Outside, you'd be in the same orbit, the same trajectory as the ship, moving right along with it. Worst could happen, you'd drift away from the side. We could avoid that by using safety lines. Well, let's be done, let's do it. No, Jim, I'll go. I want to inspect the throat of the rocket jet anyway, see how it's stood up under the takeoff. All right. I'll tag along. Me too. I follow this up and if you guys go out, so do I. You coming, General? No, I'm not a bit curious. You boys go and have your fun. I'll stand right up the log.
1: Once outside, Dr. Cargraves decides to go and check the rocket motors. Well, he goes to the other end of the ship and manages to lose contact with the ship and floats off into space. General Thayer comes outside with an oxygen tank and Jim rides it like a backpack and blasts off and reaches Doc, Dr. Cargraves and brings him back to the ship. And a little bit later on, they finally reach it to the moon. And on, the, on their descent to the, to the surface, they overshoot their landing zone, but they manage to land safely. Dr. Cargraves and Jim decide to go out and set foot on the moon. They are the first men on the moon. Dr. Cargraves claims the moon in the name of the United States for the betterment of all mankind.
0: Claim it, Doc. I'm your witness. Claim it officially. By the grace of God, and the name of the United States of America, I take possession of this planet on behalf of and for the benefit of all mankind.
1: A little bit later, they get some bad news from the Earth. On their descent to the surface, they use more reaction mass than anticipated. They must lighten their ship or they won't make it home.
0: We've got news for you. I have for you too, all of you. This is right up your alley, Jim. Told it, General. Sit on the camera, Joe, Doc. It's no use to us. I haven't shot more than a half a dozen plates. That's all you'll be able to shoot. What's the matter? I've just talked with Dr. Hastings at Dry Wells. I'll give you our instrument readings. Reaction mass, mass ratio. Checked our time with him. Well, our time is okay. Nothing else is. What are you talking about, Skipper? Everything on the board is ticking. I checked every instrument, all alive. So are we, for a while. I don't get it. We have to lighten ship. Our job for the next 24 hours is to unload everything we can and leave it here. or stay here ourselves. Hastings will give me the answers at 07.30 tomorrow. Well, let's not get into a panic until we've talked to him again. Meanwhile, we go back to the ship and strip off everything we can.
1: They stripped the ship down to bare bones and are still 110 pounds too heavy.
0: Another 110 pounds. What? Another 110 pounds and you can coast home. We're stripped, absolutely. We'll have to take the chances we are. That's suicide. You haven't enough power to pull free of the moon. You could be wrong, couldn't you? I could. I don't think the computer could. Ask Dr. Cargraves. We'll let you know, Roger. Well, Charles, is he right? I'm afraid so. We're stuck here. Who got me here? I didn't want to come. You can blame me, Joe. You didn't think it would work. Well, in a way you were right. What a sucker. What a dumb, stupid blockhead I am. I could have blown my brains out of gone over Niagara Falls in a barrel or found some other decent way to die. All right, Joe. We're
1: all in this together. While Dr. Cargraves, General Thayer, and Jim argue over who's going to stay... Joe decides that he's going to stay, so he slips out.
0: It's as simple as that. One of us stays. Of course. I weigh 180, more than enough. No, General. No, listen to me. Now look here, I'm the oldest, I've done my job. I'm skipper of this ship. That's got nothing to do with it. It's got everything to do with it. I give the orders on this ship, that was agreed. I'm giving the orders now. Jim, nobody gives orders. The devil they don't. This is the order. Doc is the engineer, he goes back to his work. The general pilots the ship when you reach the Earth's atmosphere. I can be spared on this trip. I can be spared back home. I have no family. My job gets on without me. Jim, listen to me. This is not a ship at sea, and it's not a plane, and we're not mutineers. This has been a joint undertaking. The three of us did it together from the beginning. And it's no one's duty more than the others to give his life. I've had my day, a great one. I've shown that this could be done. That's enough to make me glad I lived and content to stay. It's very noble, Doc. It is philosophy. Skip philosophy. I'm the one who stays. Why? Because I'm the oldest. You two can tell them back home what we've seen much better than I could. Tell them how we looked up and saw the Earth. Vulnerable, exposed forever. Never setting in this lunar sky. You know what you just proved, General? You're the one man that must go back. Jim, General. Are we going to have this whole thing end in futility because we can't reach a simple decision? I've reached my decision. I'm standing by it. Skipper, look here. Stay out of this, sweetie. Don't worry, you'll get back. Right now, it looks like nobody gets back. I was just going to say, if you brains can't make up your minds, why don't you do what kids do? Match for it. You know, draw lots. All right. Right. No. Jim, two against one. What do we use? Help anyone have some paper? No. Matches, and coins. Everything's overboard. You got buttons on your coveralls, match them.
1: The three men notice that he's gone and try to get him back in the ship. That's when Jim comes up with a plan to save everybody. He plans to get rid of the radio and the last space suit.
0: Hey, where's Joe? It's gone. What's wrong? You're not coming in. It won't open. It's cycling. He's not in there. Then he... No, oh, he can't do that. Spaceship Luna! Spaceship Luna! He's left the ship. We're here. Stand by. Something's happened. Swinney's left the ship. The helmet's gone. I can't see him. The angle's too great. Wait a moment, There he is. He's dragging something. Sweeney! Sweeney! Sweeney, can you hear me? Sure, I hear you. Come back, Joe. Come back. And die in that steel death trap? You won't die, Joe. Not you. You're going home. Not a chance. Goodbye, fellas. Remember me to the gals. Any gals. Spaceship Luna, you're not coming in. Here Doc, talk to him. Something's happened, Sweeney's left the ship. Joe, you've got to come back. Are you taking off? I don't know, I don't know. Stand by, we've got to think of something. Joe, you've got to come back, we can't let you do this. What do you mean, let me? You can't stop me. I lightened your ship. I gave you your chance and I get going. Don't make a monkey out of me. Come back, Joe. Come back, you've got to. We're all in this together. If you don't, we can't take off. You've got to, you've got to. Or you'll be killing me and for nothing. Crazy goon, it's not up to you. Nobody's asking you. You're killing yourself. Cut it short. Will you take off? I want to see it. Joe! A ship going back from the moon to the earth. Joe, I just thought of something. I thought of a way. A way to what? To take off. All of us. We're all going back. Do you hear me? All of us. But hurry! What do you mean, all of us? You've got to do just as I tell you. I think we can make it. You wouldn't kid me. <sighs> Don't be a fool. It's our lives too. We, we, we've less than 15 minutes. What's the deal? Get back into the airlock as fast as you can. Bring a, a screwdriver, a knife, and a rat tail file, and a weight, a, an oxygen tank. Tie the tank to the end of your safety line. Uh, I'll tell you the rest when you're in the airlock. Is he coming? He's picking up the things. Yes, he's heading toward us. What's your plan, Captain? Just this. Sweeney's space weighs what? 70 pounds. The radios weigh all of 50. There's 110 pounds with a little margin. Open open the door of the airlock without his spacesuit, so he won't open it when he gets his spacesuit off. But he can drill a small hole between the door and the casing, big enough for a safety line to get through. He ties the oxygen tank to the end of the safety line. It hangs outside. The line passes through the small hole. There's a slow leak, but Sweetie can take off his suit, tie it to the inside end of the line, and come up here. We decompress the airlock, the door opens, the suit is dragged out. General, watch for him.
1: His plan works. They blast off and begin their journey back to Earth. The end title says, this is the end of the beginning. And that's the end of the movie. Now it's time for some movie trivia. George Powell was the first to produce a major Hollywood science fiction movie to deal with the dangers inherent in space travel and with the possible difficulties of landing on and safely returning from the moon. The Woody Woodpecker cartoon used in the movie was updated and later used by NASA to explain space travel to the public. The panoramic view of the lunar landscape was a Chesley Bonestill painting. It was 13 feet long, mounted on wheels, and rolled past a stationary camera. To make the stars appear brightly luminous, 534 holes were punched in the painting and illuminated from behind. This movie marked the first time that Grace Stafford, cartoon producer Walter Lance's wife, did the voice of Woody Woodpecker. She was the voice of Woody Woodpecker from 1950 until 1972. In order to make the spacesuits appear to be in the vacuum, they were padded to make them seem inflated. The padding and studio lights made the suits so hot the actress could wear them only a few minutes at a time. Despite its half-a-million-dollar budget and a national print media and radio publicity campaign preceding its delayed release, Destination Moon ultimately became the second space adventure film in the post-World War II era. Rocketship XM, about the first spaceship to land on Mars, opened in movie theaters 25 days before Destination Moon. The rocket used in this movie uses water heated by a nuclear reactor as reaction mass. This system, although with electric heating, is actually occasionally used for small unmanned rockets for scientific research. The effects of acceleration are shown by the way the actors' faces distort. According to a magazine article, this was done by gluing thin strips of flesh-colored fabric on their faces. The fabric, in turn, tied to fishing line, was passed through the acceleration couches and pulled by crew members to stretch their skin. Episode 12 of Dimension X radio series was called Destination Moon and was based on Heinlein's final draft of the film's shooting script. During the broadcast, the program was interrupted by a news bulletin announcing that North Korea had invaded South Korea, marking the beginning of the Korean War. Destination Moon won the Academy Award for Visual Effects and was also nominated for the Academy Award for Best Art Direction. Destination Moon received a special Retro Hugo Award in 2001 for Best Dramatic Presentation for a Movie in the calendar year of 1950. The film was also nominated for AFI's Top 10 Science Fiction Films list. And that's all I have for trivia. Here are my comments about this movie. I watched a 2000 DVD release from the Wade Williams Collection. I picked it up at Amazon for 4 bucks. It comes in a standard DVD case. The artwork on the case is pretty cool. The only bonus feature you get is the DVD trailer. The picture and sound quality are fair. Uh, there's a lot of defects in the transfer. Uh, the movie's kind of choppy. It jumps around a bit. A lot of artifacts on the film. You know, I, they really need to re, uh, remaster this movie because this is a great movie. The storyline to this movie is awesome. This is this is truly classic science fiction at its best. Um, the cast did a great job. Uh, my favorite character, of course, was Joe Sweeney, the streetwise hipster from the Bronx, Who's also the comic relief and uh, the excuse to explain how everything works on the ship because he doesn't know the special effects, even though they're dated. They are pretty cool, though. I mean, it looks good for 1950 and the movies in color and it's pretty cool. Uh, There's a part where they have these spacesuits on and one's blue and one's green and one's yellow and one's kind of orange. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, "Boy, I would hate to be wearing a red spacesuit in this movie," because we all know everybody that wears red in Star Trek dies. So, I I had that in the back of my mind. I was thinking about that, laughing to myself. Um, this is a really good movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, please spend the four or five dollars. It's well worth it. And like I said before, I hope that someone picks it up and remasters it, cleans it up, gets the audio and picture together because it's definitely a good movie and it's worth having. I would give this movie a nine out of 10. I mean, the only reason I would take a point off is because of the, the sound quality, the picture quality for the DVD itself, not the movie. The movie's great. Um, I really love this movie and if any of you are interested in owning this movie, I've got an extra copy. Send me a PM on the form. Give me your address and I'll send it to you. It's, it's worth it. Matter of fact, I got a couple old movies together, a set of three. It's Rocket Ship XM, Destination Moon and Flight to Mars. And if you're interested in owning them, just send me a PM on the form. I'll get your address and I'll send it to you. OK, so those are my comments about the movie. Before I end this week's podcast, I'd like to thank Rico for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I'd also like to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. And I'd also like to apologize once again for my voice. I'm truly sorry about that, but Mother Nature struck me and took away my voice, and it's slowly coming back. So I apologize for that again. I believe that's it for this week's podcast. Everybody, take care. This is M five signing off.
0: TrekSF at gmail.com Until next time, live long and prosper. Treks in Cypher.